Ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. We did it. We reached 50 episodes. Everyone, isn't this exciting? Thank you for tuning in. I'm very sorry that we didn't hit episode 50 last week. I had to take the week off. Thank you for the messages of concern that I received on social media. I had to take the week off because I'm currently performing at the Edinburgh Fringe and I lost my voice last week which is not ideal when you are, uh, have to speak for a living. So I was on voice rest for a few days and my voice was very raspy. I thought I could push through and do a podcast, but my voice was so raspy that uh, it sounded quite sexual and uh, enticing. And I didn't want to make you all uh, get aroused during the podcast. Because as long-time listeners know, this is a very insightful podcast, very intelligent podcast. It's not a sexual podcast, so get your goddamn penises flaccid and your, your vaginas dry because we're here to talk about politics, news, culture wars. Today, I know I'm a little bit late to this because I took last week off, but we're going to be talking about how poisoning is back. Poisoning is back. It's very exciting. Uh, we're back to killing people with poison. I'm going to talk about this lady in uh, Leon Gatha which is a couple hours outside of Melbourne, back in my home country, my hometown of Australia. A lady has brought poisoning back. It's back in a big way. Good on her. Meanwhile, the uh, ballot for the Voice to Parliament referendum has been released, and it just reveals how stupid the electorate is, which makes you wonder, is democracy the best way to go about things, or should we go back to a fascist, totalitarian state that they tried in Europe in the 1930s and 40s. Sure, it had its issues, mostly with the genocides and the uh, extrajudicial murders. However, would it be better than letting the public decide their futures? We're talking about that. And lastly, got to chat about the Women's World Cup. The Matildas did a great job. And I think they've once again proved that uh, women need to be paid more in sport. If you ask me, they probably should be paid more than men because I think they're, they're better. And they seem to be getting more eyeballs and money, at least at this point. So maybe we should, let's give the, the women some more money, take it away from the men. That would be fair and equal. Before we get into all of that, I know you've missed it. The intro music, guys. Please enjoy the next 30 seconds of your life. Enjoy this intro music. I'll be back shortly with the news. That's one Fun, I am for comedy. We are stripped down and ready to go. I'll never I'll surrender. surrender. But I ain't spending any time on it. Please explain. I'm going to. Okay? Welcome back. I hope you got a real kick out of that intro music. It is the best in the business. Speaking of the best in the business, we've got a lady in Leon Gatha, who is, I think, one of the great poisoners of our time. Now, when you think of poisoners, obviously, you first go to uh, Russians. Russians, classic poisoners. They love killing an oligarch with uh, a bit of poison on a disposable glove. They shake your hand in a crowd. They disappear. And then moments later, the oligarch collapses in the middle of the street. And Putin has one less enemy. So Russians, very good at poisoning. But you know who's also great at poisoning? Uh, rural, rural, rural women. 
Rural, that's a hard word to say. Rural women in Australia are very good at poisoning, especially uh, one woman in particular who uh, is good at foraging for mushrooms, uh, particularly uh, mushrooms that are called death cap mushrooms. Now, you might be wondering, how did the death cap mushroom get its name? I think it got its name because it causes death. Uh, so, uh, like, mushrooms tend to be... Uh, the, the, what they do and what they are tends to be in the name. You know, like... Uh, uh, what's the you got those buttercup mushrooms? They're kind of in the shape of little cups. Uh, that that's why they have that name. They're shiitake mushrooms. They taste like shits. And now you've got death cap mushrooms, which cause death. So this lady has gone out and uh, she's invited. She's found some mushrooms. She claims she got them from a, a grocery store. Uh, but anyway, she's she's invited her uh, her ex husband and her ex husband's parents. And I believe her ex-husband's sister over for lunch. Now, what a lovely gesture to do. Get the whole family together, have them around for a lunch. And uh, what she's done is she served them a meal, uh, a, a pie, I believe it was, like a beef Wellington pie, which contained some death cap mushrooms. Now, look, I think that it's nice when people, you know, invite their family over for lunch and it's nice to host um however i think that gesture kind of is um uh, overshadowed by uh the violent poisoning of these people now she says that this is a great defense by the way so she's being interviewed by police about like hey what's the deal with the mushrooms where'd you get the mushrooms uh why did you kill people with the mushrooms you know classic questions you expect in the circumstances She's been a bit vague about where she got the mushrooms from. Her, her initial st stance was, I didn't find them uh, in the ground where I foraged for mushrooms. I actually went to an Asian grocery store and I purchased, purchased the mushrooms from the Asian grocery store. Now, I'll be honest, that is a very good defense strategy if you're trying to like win over public opinion. I'll tell you why. Because Australians are pretty... Uh, Racist towards Asians. Pretty, a lot of anti-Asian sentiment out in the public. So what she's trying to do here is she's trying to harness that anti-Asian sentiment in order to uh, concoct a defense of herself. And I think it's a smart move because I think right now, Pauline Hanson is there and goes, yeah, that's what I've been saying. I've been saying for years that the Asians are coming to invade, that they're stealing all the baby formula, they're buying up all the property. You know what else they're doing? They're bloody poisoning us with mushrooms. So... She's trying to win over that One Nation vote. And I'll tell you what, it's not a bad idea because at the end of the day, she's got to be put on trial and uh, there's going to be a jury trial, you would think. All you need is one Pauline Hanson supporter, one One Nation voter on that jury who, you know, doesn't like Asians. And all of a sudden, we've got a hung jury and she's going to get off scot-free. So I think it's, a, it's not a bad strategy to be like, yeah, I went to an Asian grocer and purchased some death cap mushrooms. Now, look, I don't think that that's, that's what happened. Usually you go to an Asian grocer. Usually an Asian grocer is where you get the good stuff. You get, oh, you go, I go to an Asian grocer because I want to get, um, you know, the flat noodles you need for like a good, a good stir fry. You get those flat rice noodles at like a, at an Asian, at an Asian grocer. If you want to make a good pad thai, you got to go to an Asian grocer. You can't be getting this shit from Coles or Woolies or whatever. They don't have good Asian stuff there. They've got like an aisle where it's like Asian and Mexican and whatever, miscellaneous. They just have that aisle in Coles where they just, they've just quite, let's be honest, quite racistly just amalgamated all these foreign 
uh, cuisines together and to, to give the aura of, of culture. But you're not getting this stuff from uh, Coles or Woolworths. If you want to get some good Asian stir-fry ingredients, you've got to go to the Asian supermarket, the Asian, Asian grocer, where the lady serving you came here in 1953 as a refugee from the Korean War, doesn't speak a word of English, and that's how you know it's legit, and that's how you know you're getting good products. And none of the products have have English words on them either. That's how you know it's a legitimate Asian uh, grocer, is that there's no English there. You walk in, uh, they've got K-pop blaring in the background. They always have some like weird Japanese kind of confectionery that you only really see in like Shinjuku in Tokyo. That's how you know it's a legitimate Asian grocery store, and that's where you find the good noodles. And apparently, according to this lady, Erin Patterson, that's where you find death cap mushrooms. Look, I think it's unlikely. I don't think that they are selling uh, deadly mushrooms at supermarkets because I think that would be bad for business. As a, as a general rule, um, I don't think that people who run grocery stores want to uh, kill their customers because just purely from a capitalistic standpoint, I think that would be hard. You wouldn't get many repeat customers. I mean, and that's kind of what uh, the tobacco industry said for many years about smoking, by the way. They said, hey, smoking doesn't kill people because, and you know it doesn't kill people because, you know, why would we want to kill our own customers? It would be bad for business. Now, of course, it turned out that they were lying and they were killing their customers, but at least they were killing their customers slowly. So at least what the tobacco industry was, was doing was like, hey, we are killing you, but it's happening kind of over the period of, of years and decades. And we make enough money from you off that period that even when you uh, die kind of quite agonizingly and you suffocate to death because your lungs are full of uh, holes, uh, even by that point, we've still kind of coming out with a profit off your life. So the good thing that the tobacco companies did is basically they kill people slowly. So they were able to still profit off their debts. But I just don't think there's any kind of capitalistic economic incentive to sell death cap mushrooms, which, you know, it seemed to kill people quite quickly. So they, these people, they got the mushrooms and uh, they got fed the mushrooms and they died within a few days. Uh, it doesn't sound like good stuff. It sounds pretty grim stuff. They pretty much had to go to hospital the next day, next day and then a few days later, they're gone. Now, as a result of this, you know, the Asian grocers have to come out and be like, no, we don't, we don't, we're not trying to kill our customers. Uh, please... Uh, don't think that we're trying to kill you. We're just trying to give you some goddamn noodles at a much cheaper price than you would at one of the big supermarkets. And in fact, this, this lady has fucked up so badly by using mushrooms as her device for killing people. Oh, so I should say none of this has been proven in court, so I probably should say allegedly, but I also don't think my podcast is listened to by enough people for me to like prejudice a jury pool. So look, if you are listening to this podcast and you are later selected to be on the jury, uh, please forget all of the uh, defamatory and prejudicial statements that you're hearing about this potentially innocent, but definitely not woman. Um, so that's just my, my disclaimer before I continue. So uh, Coles and Woolworths have come out and they've had to make a statement saying, um, yeah, we don't, like, we don't sell killer mushrooms ourselves. Um, and you know how bad you fucked up when... Uh, two of the largest corporations in the country have to come out and distance themselves uh, from you. So you know you fucked up when Coles and Woolworths are like, please know that our mushrooms won't kill you because we don't uh, sell death cap mushrooms. 
and um, we we mostly get them from farmers and we're pretty confident the farmers who are growing these mushrooms are not foraging uh, in the uh, weeds of the Mornington Peninsula and uh, and getting them from there. So uh, it's honestly the last time the Coles and Woolworths had to come out and, and defend their product was when, uh, you know, those insane psychopaths were putting needles in strawberries. If you remember that a few years ago, there were uh, needles in strawberries. This And we had to, these uh, crazy people who were working on a farm were just like, putting needles in a few strawberries. It was a national crisis, national. This was before like COVID. So we didn't really have any like real legitimate national crises at the time. So there was a needle in a strawberry and the entire country would just ground to a halt. And all of a sudden, you know, strawberries were being sold for, you know, a dollar a punnet because everyone was too scared to purchase the strawberries. In fact, you know, people, I remember I was working at the project on Channel 10 at the time and the project had to come out and be like, guys, it's fine. You can have strawberries. And uh, Peter Hellier, quite uh, funnily, pulled out a punnet of strawberries and started eating them at the desk and said, look, I don't have to cut open the strawberries. I can just eat them at the desk. It's fine. I suggested it would be very funny. I did suggest this in the rides room at the time. I said, wouldn't it be funny, though, if we did have a needle in one of the strawberries that Peter Hellier was eating? And then when he ate it and took a bite into it, um, he bled profusely from the mouth and pulled a strawberry out from his... um, uh, from his tongue however um that was uh despite getting laughs in the room uh it was shot down by the producers my point being the last time we've seen a national crisis around food safety was was years ago when when strawberries were dropped to a dollar a punnet because there was, there was a needle in a strawberry and we had to change laws that prevented people from and punish people from tampering with food products in the process line and now we're back we're back here people are scared of mushrooms now and look that's sad but i'll tell you what if you're in australia right now Good time to snap up a bargain because I reckon those mushrooms have come down uh, real nice and quick. So if you want to get some goddamn shiitakes, you want to get some portobellos, you want to get some buttercups, go out there and snap up a bargain while the hysteria is out there. Now, look, I don't want to go too hard on this lady. I don't want to go too hard on her because at the end of the day, we've all had a bad cook, haven't we? I mean, we've all been in the kitchen. Things have gone awry in the kitchen and we've all made mistakes. Sometimes, you know, you overcook a piece of fish. Sometimes you forget about the toast you left in the toaster. And sometimes you accidentally serve your ex-husband's family uh, deadly mushrooms. These things happen. They can happen to the best of us. Look, it's never happened on a MasterChef episode. Um, That would be great, though, if that did happen on a MasterChef episode. I think we'd all tune in to see what, if we just went from straight from MasterChef at 7.30 into ER at 8.30 and it was just all the contestants and the judges having their stomachs pumped, that would be good, wholesome Australian TV. It's never happened on MasterChef, but look, crazy things happen, crazy things happen in the kitchen. We've all had bad cooks. Sometimes I mess up in the kitchen too. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't killed anyone. Well, not yet at least. I hope never to, to accidentally kill someone with my food, but I've certainly um, served up you know, burnt food and, and stuff that I'm not proud of. So, you know, I think it's it's a shame that she killed people, but I think let's also be sympathetic that sometimes, you know, when you're hosting a dinner party, it's stressful. It's very, very stressful hosting a dinner party. Often you're cooking multiple things at once. You got to get the timings right. You got to make sure the oven's at the right temperature. You got to make sure this is defrosted. It's really hard getting the potatoes crispy. You got to half boil them. Then you got to bake them in the oven. Then you got to go and to get the forage for the mushrooms. You got to make sure that you've that you're using the the buttercup mushrooms instead of the death cap mushrooms, which you 
which you dehydrated the previous day and then you threw your dehydrator out to dispose of evidence. My point is it's easy to make mistakes. You can accidentally feed these people who you have an acrimonious relationship with, presumably, because, you know, they're the family of your ex-husband. Uh, you can accidentally feed these people a, a, a deadly mushroom uh, instead of, you know, the, the, the potatoes. Now, that can happen. I have sympathy for that. The one thing I will say about this lady, which kind of does upset me a little bit is that this is because like, this is international news because poisonings don't happen that much it's kind of fun and exciting when it does happen like it's very shakespearean to kill someone with a with a deadly mushroom it's something out of like the the cinderella story right with the with the is it cinderella or no snow white with the apple she eats the poison apple and then you know she dies and then she has to get woken up by a prince who kisses her against her her, her consent and that's kind of sexual assault and we're not really okay with that anymore but it all stems from these poison foods which is always exciting when uh, it happens and now it's, it's international news now so i saw in america they were talking about the the lady in australia who's poisoning her family with mushrooms and i feel like this could just be look if she's innocent this could be our generation's midingo ate me baby that's what it could be remember that lady you know that she gets accused of killing her own child and, you know, the whole world, you know, doesn't believe her story. And then, of course, later on, she's exonerated when everyone's like, oh, my God, her, she was right. A dingo did actually eat her baby. The most Australian story of all time. What I mean, this lady could very well be exonerated and be like, yeah, I, I, I just gave them what I believe were ordinary mushrooms that I had purchased, you know, at an Asian grocery store. Clearly, the Korean lady at the front desk wanted uh, to uh, to kill me and my family. I'm a victim here. And uh, now I've accidentally uh, killed all, all these people. So this could just be our generation's Medingo ate me baby. Uh, it does feed into the stereotype that everything in Australia does kill you. Um, you know, you go into the water, the sharks will get you. Uh, you go into the land, you got the snakes and the spiders. And if you eat anything, uh, you'll die as well. So it doesn't really, it kind of does fit into our, our national image, but I just don't think it's good for tourism. Uh, when we keep having deadly things just popping up, because you would have thought, you know, if you come to Australia, it's it's the flora and f it's the f it's the fauna you really have to worry about, not so much the flora. Look, I will say this though, she's probably going to be on trial soon, and you know, good luck to her. I think that she's uh, being very hard done by by the press. Everyone is jumping to conclusions just because she, everyone died except for her. Just you know that that's not necessarily indicative of guilt maybe she doesn't like mushrooms and, and who does like death cap mushrooms not me certainly i'm actually fascinated to know what death cap mushrooms do taste like because typically things that kill you um for example uh you know stuff like uh petrol you have you, you drink too much petrol you'll die um you know arsenic and uh you know bad stuff there's things that kill you right poisons kill you typically and those things usually taste very bad. And the reason why they taste very bad is because like just evolutionarily, uh, people have evolved to be repulsed uh, by things that kill us so that we don't put them in our mouths and die. So I, I presume the death cap mushrooms, just based on my basic understanding of evolution, must taste very bad to the human taste bud, which makes me wonder that I perhaps the the people she killed her, her, her ex-husband's family they were just eating this pie these mushrooms really out of politeness because they would have been eating it and being like Ugh, this tastes of 
I was like, it's great. And, you know, she's very proud of the mushrooms that she says she found herself as she foraged from them. And she's put a lot of effort into this pie. She spent weeks dehydrating these mushrooms and, and preparing them for us. You know, they don't taste very good. Uh, strangely, she's, and she's, she's, she's not eating them herself. She's decided to give them to us clearly because she, she loves us and she's given them to us as a gift because I don't see any on her plate. So she's given them to us and uh, she's uh, sharing uh, these incredible, this incredible delicacy with us. And unfortunately, it tastes like shit. I'll be honest. I'm eating, I'm eating the pie. It's not very good. To be honest, the death cap mushrooms are out of whack. They're out of balance. They're destroying uh, the pie. They're, they're really interfering with my enjoyment of this lunch. Uh, I'm also starting to feel uh, a seizure coming on. But I have, but out of politeness, out of sheer politeness, these people have finished their meal. They've eaten these mushrooms, which presumably taste awful. And now they're dead. So I guess one of the lessons we can take from this story, perhaps the moral of this story is, don't be polite. If someone serves you a meal that doesn't taste good, ask them point blank to their face, are you trying to kill me? Uh, Are you a murderer? And uh, ask them to, to eat it first to see if they're trying to poison you. I think that's the way to go in the future. So... If you ever find yourself in that situation, I would say uh, better to be rude and alive than to be uh, polite and dead. That's a little uh, adage that I was taught as a child. Guys, we're going to have to move on from this because uh, I can talk about this lady forever, but uh, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin her chances of 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 having a just and fair trial by, ironically, uh, poisoning the jury against her. Sorry for the pun. It was unavoidable. Let's get stuck into this other news story, which is uh, the ballot for the voice to parliament has just come out. And uh, it's, 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 it's really an insight into how dumb the electorate is that the ballot has to be framed in a yes-no fashion. So basically, the question that's going to get asked to people on this ballot is, Hey, um, you know, do you want to establish a? Do you want to change the constitution to establish an indigenous voice to parliament? Now, normally, like in a, when you're voting on people, you do like a one or a two. Um, previously, there's been like you tick or you do a cross. You tick for yes or you cross for no. And uh, this year, you can't do numbers and you can't do ticks and crosses. You have to do a yes or a no in order for your vote to count. You can also do a Y or an N. Apparently, those will also be counted as well. But the fact that we can't just go with the tick cross method is a real sad indication of how people cannot be trusted because apparently the tick cross method was too confusing for people. Some people thought that a cross meant they were doing yes. And, and I mean, how can you think a cross, when you've got a tick or a cross option, you know that a tick is a yes and a cross is a no. We all know that. But of course, you know, a good chunk of the population are fucking idiots and they don't understand how the tick cross system works despite it being around for literally centuries. So now we have to do the yes, no. Now, that isn't such a big deal, of course. Not a big deal to ask people to write yes or no. And perhaps that makes things clearer for people. But I just, my point is that it just reveals how stupid the average person is. Like, if we can't trust people with a tick or a cross in their vote, can we really trust them? To make an informed and and you know uh, reasonable decision and cast a mature vote about whether or not there should be an indigenous voice to parliament. 
because clearly the answer is no. Like it's, it just goes to show that democracy does not work because democracy, democracy only works if there is like a basic level of, of literacy across the country. And there isn't. There just, sadly, there isn't. The drag queens are trying to help with that. So the drag queens are currently out and about, going to the libraries, reading to the kids. Sure, they might be grooming one or two of them. And sure, they might be, you know, fondling a couple of them here and there. But, you know, priests have been doing that for decades. And we haven't banned priests. So the, the, the drag queens have been trying to improve literacy levels across the country. And people are getting angry at the drag queens. And, and as a result, literacy levels are now remaining stagnant. And as a result of that, we can't trust people to be able to read a goddamn ballot and then work out how to do right yes or no or do a tick or a cross. It's just evidence that the whole system is flawed. I really think we have to go back and try fascism again. Look, we've never really given it a shot in Australia. I think Pauline Hansen had a crack um, back in like the 90s when she, when she came in. And, you know, you've had like some other far-right parties. Give it a shot. I mean, I think like a totalitarian, authoritarian, you know, benevolent dictatorship, I have to stress that. Benevolent is important. That's a real key descriptor here. You don't want malevolent dictatorships because that's usually how, um, you know, like holocausts and stuff like that happen. So you don't want malevolent dictatorships, but God, it'd be nice to have just a benevolent dictatorship. Someone who is smart and intelligent and reasonable and who actually uh, acts in the interests of the public so that we don't have to waste our time on a Saturday queuing up at a voting booth with the with the, the dumbest people in the country, let's be honest, uh, to cast a vote on something that really should be quite obvious. I think if they really want to, if they really want to get an accurate vote on this, and they really want to make sure that you know everyone's vote is counted correctly, and no one makes the mistake of accidentally voting yes, and they want to do no, or voting no, and they actually want to do yes. The question should just be, um, are you racist? Because anyone who just says, yes, I'm racist, you can be like, okay, well, obviously they're against the voice of parliament. Anyone who says, no, I'm not racist, uh, would then be like accounting as supporting the voice of parliament. There could also be like, I'm not racist, but, um, and that could also be, that could just be a third option for uh, the people who don't want to identify as racist, but kind of are deep down in their hearts. So maybe if we just went to that, racist, not racist, I'm not racist, but maybe that will be like a more accurate way to, to run this referendum. Or like I said, let's have a crack at a dictatorship. Uh, let's have a crack at an authoritarian regime. I'm not saying we put like Pauline Hanson in charge, but maybe someone like, oh, I don't maybe, I mean, ugh, yeah, actually, now that I think about it, you couldn't really do it because uh, there's no one competent enough. We could try Barnaby Joyce. I think Barnaby Joyce would be a good dictator just because he's too dumb to be, like, malevolent. Like, he would probably just uh, use his powers to... Rev like, his, the first thing he would do is just, I'm going to revoke the no sex uh, in the office policy. And uh, and that's kind of all I want to do as a dictator. So he would put the, the dick back in dictatorship again sorry for a bit of wordplay uh, i can't help myself today maybe maybe barnaby joyce would be the the dictator that the country needs because he wouldn't do anything malevolent uh and he'd also be, just be a bit of fun wouldn't he last thing we got to talk about is the women's world cup 
How good are the Matildas? I don't want to be one of those like soy boys, beta cuck males who's like, how good is women's sport? It's bloody the best. It's fantastic. Because I'll be honest, I don't watch a lot of women's sport, but bloody hell, I love getting around the Matildas because I don't know. I, I, I've realized that I, I do have some nationalistic uh, fervor in me. I do have this nationalistic pride that I, I think is all silly uh, on a rational level. But then on an emotional level, you know, I see Sam Kerr scoring an absolute screamer from outside of the box. And I'm, I'm just, I've never been prouder to be Australia. Like that, Kathy Fremer winning the 400 meters, uh, Stephen Bradbury not falling over whilst four Scandinavians and a Chinese man scramble over each other in some speed racing on an ice rink. Those are probably the proudest moments I've been as an Australian, to be honest. It was just so exciting to get on that bandwagon. It's, it's really great to see uh, the whole country get around a team. It's really great to see it. Also, it's also nice that it's a women's team. It's nice that we got around a women's team. And I'll be honest, I've always been like, you know, I've never been like one for pay uh, equality just for the sake of it. I've always believed that people should be paid what they are worth. I'm very, I'm very like free market when it comes to this stuff. I think that you should just be paid according to how much value you're bringing into uh, whatever, you know, industry you're in. So for example, you know, Serena Williams should get paid more than other female athletes. In fact, she should get paid more than so many male athletes because she brings in more eyeballs, she brings in more sponsors, she brings in more money on into to tennis than a lot of her counterparts in both the men's and women's tours. So I've always believed that people should just get be paid what they are worth. And I'll be honest, at this point, you gotta say, the Matildas are worth more than the Socceroos at this point. I mean, for fuck's sake, they made a, a World Cup semi-final, and I mean, could have very easily made a uh, made an actual World Cup final in Australia. I mean, the amount of joy, the amount of eyeballs, the amount of money they've brought to the country, to the tournament, to the sport, you could make a very, very strong argument that the Matildas should get paid more than the men's team. You could make a very strong argument that Sam Kerr should get paid more than any male athlete representing Australia in any sport because she's basically now the face of the country, which is fantastic. So I guess my point is, I think, I'm not, I'm not for like, I'm actually like not really for just equality for the sake of equality. I believe in capitalism. I believe in the free market. I think pay these women what they are goddamn worth. And right now, they are pay, they're worth more than the men, aren't they? I think it would be nice to just, the men should be paid, you know, 72 cents on the dollar just for the next few years to give them a, just to like light a bit of a fire up their ass for the next Men's World Cup. Maybe that's the way. In fact, maybe that's how we just improve our sporting performances across all the leagues. We've got to start... Uh, paying our athletes less in order to incentivize them to get better and make more money. So the women's team has historically been paid less than the men's and I can only presume that that has just lit a fire in all their bellies and that's how they made a, a World Cup semi-final. So now I think it's time for the men to be paid an absolute pittance. Uh, we should not be paying the men anything, really. We should be saying, hey, Socceroos, if you want to get paid your match fee, well, you've got to make at least a World Cup semi-final uh, at the next World Cup. 
Otherwise, you're going to be earning 72 cents on the dollar. How about that? I think that's the way to do it. Let's uh, play the men's and women's teams off each other. Let's uh, continue to divide the men's and women's teams, uh, get them jealous and angry of each other. And I think that's the way to achieve uh, our best and, and, and get the best out of these athletes uh, is to harness the power of grievance and jealousy. Speaking of the power of grievance and jealousy, the one last thing I want to talk about is this uh, redneck in America has gone viral because he's released this quite beautiful uh, song that he plays on guitar and sings uh, pretty much like just him on the guitar on the acoustic. He's, he looks like Ed Sheeran if Ed Sheeran uh, were still poor and living in a trailer in Alabama. He's gone viral on the internet because he's singing this incredible, uh, incredibly powerful tune, let's be honest. Uh, he's got a very, very powerful voice. Um, but in the song, he's singing like a very right-wing conservative song about how, you know, white men like himself have been betrayed um, and have been overlooked by the powers that be in society in favor of immigrants who are, you know, on welfare payments and and uh, exploiting uh, government benefits uh, at the expense of, you know, working class, good old white folk. Now, he's gone viral because, uh, you know, he has uh, created art uh, around grievance and jealousy, which is a very, very powerful emotion. As I've just said, it's, a, it's an emotion that can get you to a, a World Cup semi-final. So he's gone viral because he's, he's harnessed his grievance and jealousy um, of migrants, and let's be honest, his racism of migrants, uh, to uh, create this song, put it on the internet, gets shared around a lot. Uh, good on him. He's, uh, he's done well for himself out of that. But I will say this, uh, I'm, we, I'm sick of poor whites being racist towards immigrants because immigrants aren't the people that are keeping poor whites poor. It's uh, mostly rich whites that are keeping poor whites poor. So I think it would be nice if we lived in a world where the poor whites, instead of uh, you know expressing their, their hatred and their grievance and their jealousy against migrants, uh, instead uh, express their hatred and their grievance and jealousy against the people who are actually in power, you know, like the rich white folk, like Bezos, like Zuckerberg, you know, uh, Elon Musk, all these guys who, for some reason, they perceive to be champions of the working class, but are really uh, their oppressors. Um, and trying to uh, stoke uh, racism and, uh, and grievance amongst the uh, poor working classes so that they remain on top. So I guess well, my final message in today's podcast is if you're, a, if, you're, if you're feeling aggrieved and you're feeling jealous of, uh, of a migrant who is uh, on government welfare, um, I would say... Uh, go out and um, kill a billionaire because every time a billionaire dies, uh, some of their money gets released out into the public and it becomes, there's just a bit more money now for society and for all of us. That's, that's really what trickle-down economics is. I know that, you know, conservatives and Republicans have often said that trickle-down economics is about, you know, giving tax cuts for the rich and then uh, those profits then trickle down uh, you know, to the middle class and the working class 
downstream. That's not really how it works because you give tax cuts for the rich. They, they just pocket the money and then they go to an Eastern European country and, uh, you know, and have sex with, uh, with minors. So that's usually what happens with um, trickle-down economics or Reaganomics as it's called. So, but I've got this new form of trickle-down economics, which is when um, you, uh, you go out and you uh, murder a, a billionaire and th the money uh, trickles down uh, to the working class because it's no longer, you know, uh, being hoarded by them. So I think that's a... Look, if I were to become a dictator, and I, like I've said, I think that's what Australia needs. I think we need a benevolent uh, dictatorship. I've said that Barnaby Joyce could do the job. Personally, I think I could do the job. I think I'd be very good at it. Um, my first rule of thumb would be, obviously, get rid of the, the no sex in the office rule because I think that's ridiculous. I don't think it's fair to put that constraint on Barnaby Joyce. I think the more sex that Barnaby Joyce is having in the office the less decisions he's making, and that can only be a good thing for the country. The more that Barnaby Joyce is distracted by his penis, the better it is for Australia. But the second thing I would do in office is I would say, also, it's now legal to kill uh, billionaires. Uh, and every person is allowed to kill one billionaire, and then you're allowed to have their money. So I think that would be a great way to, trans to, to get people's uh, sense of grievance sense of jealousy, sense of hatred towards, you know, migrants or indigenous people or whatever, the stuff that's causing them to vote no in this upcoming referendum, uh, their, their personal grievances, which are caused by, you know, rich, white, typically white billionaires in power. Um, let's use that anger, that violence to start the revolution, uh, kill a billionaire, uh, vote yes and if you can kill a billionaire by, filling, by feeding them a, a poisonous mushroom, I think that would be quite, uh, quite poetic. So, which does bring me back to the start of this episode. Were the people who died from the mushrooms billionaires? Were her ex... Because if her ex-husband's family were billionaires, I don't have a tremendous amount of sympathy for them. Uh, if they were working class, you know, that's kind of sad. But if they were billionaires, um, I think that's overall she's... She's probably improved the world a little bit. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I think we cover quite a lot of territory there. If you enjoyed the episode, uh, please let your friends know about this podcast. Give it a nice review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen. I'll be uh, doing some extra shows this weekend at the Edinburgh Fringe. If you know anyone here, send them along. I've got shows in uh, Zurich and London in September that are on sale. I've got a show in Frankston. Nary Warren and Melbourne uh, that is on sale. I'm also going to be adding shows soon in Paris and Munich. So uh, if you know anyone in those cities, let them know about the tour. It's all happening. It's all great. Come along. I've got this great new recipe for a beef Wellington mushroom pie that I've been feeding my audiences and they all seem to love it. Good night. See you next week.